0: turn again to our text of study in these recent days, Judges chapter 9 and reading verse 7 only through 15. This great fable about the Republic of Trees. Verse 7, When they told it to Jotham, he went and stood in the top of Mount Gerizim, lifted up his voice and cried, and said unto them, Hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, God may hearken unto you the trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them. And they said unto the olive tree, Reign thou over us. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness wherewith by me they honor God and man and Go to be promoted over the trees. And the trees said to the fig tree, Come thou and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said the trees under the vine, Come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man, go to be promoted over the trees? Then said all the trees under the bramble, Come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees. If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble, devour the cedars of Lebanon. Turn with me again, please, in your hymn book, number 447, and stand with me and sing, please. Sinner, the voice of God regard His mercy speaks today He calls you by His sovereign word from sin's destructive way Like the rough sea that cannot rest You live devoid of peace A thousand stains within your breath Thank you. Be seated. Jotham's Fable The Republic of Trees We return again now on a for a third message in this passage, Judges 9, 7 through 21. And I hope to complete, I hope to complete our studies here in this most glorious, inspired fable. In the first message, we looked at some length at the setting the context of events that brought Jotham to the delivery of this divine oracle. In that message, we indulged a brief excursion into the comparison between fables and parables and studied their diverse uses in my second message on last week we looked took in hand to attempt to thoroughly understand the actual contents of the fable that is its words its expressions, its translations, and the nuances of all their meaning in each different phrase. While I have, along the way, unavoidably made some applications and pointed to some of the intended designs of this glorious fable here and there I have pointed to some application but I had hoped to gather together in one message this message its principal lessons not only to Israel and the Shechemites, but to our hearts here as well it is not just for the knowledge The academic understanding that we seek before its application. Knowledge without application is but an academic enterprise at best. I said knowledge without application is but an academic enterprise at best. We have read in your presence already this morning and several times the parable, sorry, the fable itself, so I'll not go back through it. You are very familiar with it. While the lessons here are many, I hope only to extract those which occupy the principal doctrines Needful to our hearts here. In verse 8 through 15, which occupies the actual account of the fable, the actual fable itself, verses 8 through 15, not including Jotham's private exhortations to Israel in verses 16 through 20. In verses 8 through 15, in the actual fable, there are great lessons to be learned. I will give you some. The first to which I would point your hearts is one to which I have already made a passing reference before. Namely, that the most insignificant and worthless man, may be the instrument to bring great harm to mighty men. There is a lesson in this fable, short, sure, that the most insignificant and worthless man may be the instrument to bring great harm to mighty men. Colin Deleche said, The words of the briar there in verse 15 said, trust in my shadow. The words of the briar when he says, trust in my shadow, seek refuge there. Those words contain, says Kyle Delish, a great irony. The truth of which the Shechemites were very soon to discover because he went on and said, and if not, If you do not find the protection you expect, fire will go out of the briar and consume the cedars of Lebanon, the largest and noblest trees. According to Exodus 22 and verse 5, thorns catch fire easily. And the most insignificant and most, most worthless man can be the cause of harm to that one most distinguished. Oh, I hope you young people here under my pastoral care learn a lesson. Hear me and learn this lesson. A worthless, fruitless, weak, an undesirable bramble may burn down great cedars that years of cultivation have grown. Said James in chapter 3 and verse 5, How great a matter a little fire kindling! Talking about the tongue. Oh, listen to me. You that are filled with youth this day. Young people and young couples. Choose well your friends. Choose well your associates. We have Elena going off to college very soon. Her brother before her has already learned and known this lesson. Choose Well, your friends, one small-minded, carnal-hearted, frivolous bramble may light a fire of destruction in your life that will crush in one moment years of faithful labor and rigid discipline. I want to say that again. One small-minded, carnal-hearted, frivolous bramble in your life may light a fire of destruction that will crush in one moment years of faithful labor and rigid discipline. One. Oh nothing so well illustrates the Bible as the Bible. Nothing so well illustrates the Bible as the Bible. And so it is here. Go with me to yet another place in the sacred record and find again an example of a bramble burning down a whole city of God's cedars. First Samuel in chapter 21. Without reading these passages, you'll remember that in 1 Samuel chapter 21, David, God's anointed, God's anointed servant, is fleeing from wicked Saul here in chapter 21. He has fled to the city of Nob and to the shelter of the priest Ahimelech in verse 1. He seeks their shelter and provisions, bread, in verse 3, but also weapons that he might use in verse 8 and 9, all of which Ahimelech furnished, not knowing that David fled from Saul. Here Ahimelech, the priest of God, gives blessings and aid to David whose glory and faithfulness had already been proven in multiple acts of zeal and service. But wait, but wait. In the midst of this scene, in verse 7, there's a bramble in the midst. Verse 7, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there, that day detained before the Lord and his name was Doeg an Edomite the chiefest of the herdsmen that belonged to David I said there was a bramble in the midst that day chapter later on in chapter 22 Saul still anxiously looking for David to kill him. And he heard that David had been discovered. David had been discovered, verse 6 of chapter 22. So he set out to know his whereabouts. And he begins to rage against his own people in verse 7 through 8. When then suddenly this bramble, Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, the Bible says, sets a fire in God's great forest. In verse 9, Then answered Doeg the Edomite, which set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Na to Ahimelech. I saw him, I'll tell you where he's at, I know where he is, I saw him. Oh, oh, I said, suddenly this Edomite has set a fire among the servants of God in that great forest of God. And now that fire begins to burn in verse 9 in wild violence against God's cedars. Set by a pagan bramble. By a pagan bramble. Fire begins to burn. Verse 18 and 19. And the king said to Doeg, Turn now and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and fell upon the priests and slew all that day. Four score and five persons that did wear the linen ephod, and Nob the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women and children and sucklings and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword, and the fire burned in the forest of God, and everything there died. Everything died. Oh, can I just say it to you again? Doeig, this little pagan bramble, set a fire in God's forest. The most worthless, the most worthless and insignificant of men may bring great harm to the mightiest, yea, even God's great cedars in Zion. Burned them down. Who did that? A bramble. A bramble. Oh, look at this fable this morning. Look at this fable and learn this lesson. A worthless bramble may burn down God's freedoms. Be careful, be careful, be careful about your acquaintances. But now I give you another somewhat related lesson from this story and from the actual facts which it is intended to portray. Secondly, I give you this, base and bloody men, base and bloody men may be exalted to the highest levels of office and power by light and vain men of carnal interest. Mm. Base and bloody men may be exalted, we learn from this, to the highest levels of office and power by light and vain people of carnal interest. Oh, Bim-a-L-E. Abimelech was the bastard son of a handmaid. Which by the way. Is nothing but a private owned harlot. Abimelech was the bastard son of a handmaid. And should have lived out his days. In relative obscurity and shame. But he maneuvered himself into the highest level of rulership and authority. Oh, what a sad day it is when olive trees and fig trees and vineyards find themselves cowering under the government of a bramble. We have the same thing happen, as happened in our nation. Base, vile, heathenish men occupying the highest offices and stations in our country. Senators and congressmen and court justices and all the way to the White House. Vile and ungodly, heathenish, base men occupying high levels of station. Oh, Abimelech. Abimelech. What damnable curse is Israel under to have you as their root? Learn from this fable. The most vile and base of men may find themselves exalted to the highest positions. I remember it as I was studying and preparing. I remember the testimony Brother Roloff gave 50 years ago. He was originally there in Texas where he was. He pastored a Southern Baptist church. He was himself a Southern Baptist. And he was in a meeting where they were voting for officers and the man had been set forward to be voted on that was known to be a philanderer and an adulterer. Brother Roloff stood up in that meeting. I'll never forget his words. He said, I, gentlemen, I recommend to you this day that we never vote to exalt a man of questionable character. He said, I sat down and they voted him right in as if I'd said nothing. Vile base men they find themselves in the highest positions, learn from this fable. But now thirdly, I give you another related lesson from this great fable. Surely the answers that we have read over and again the answers from the lips of these three fruitful trees, the olive in verse 9, the fig in verse 11, and the vine in verse 13, surely the answers from the lips of these three fruitful trees would teach us this lesson. Those who are advanced to a supposed place of honor, often Lose their usefulness altogether. Those who are advanced to a supposed place of honor often lose their usefulness altogether. First I, the olive tree, said, Should I leave my fatness? The fig tree in verse 11, Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit? Said the vine in verse 13, Should I leave my wine that cheereth God and man? Oh, learn from this fable that those who are advanced to some supposed place of honor often lose their usefulness altogether. Wise Matthew Henry said those Who are advanced to honor and dignity are in great danger of losing their fatness and fruitfulness. Preferment is apt to make men proud and slothful. And thus spoil their usefulness with which a lower sphere they honored God and man. For which reason those that desire to do good are afraid of being too great. Those that desire to do good, said Matthew Henry, are often afraid to be made too great. Oh, we cannot... Can we not learn here? Can we not learn here to find a place of usefulness in the service of our God and rest content there. Said one commentator, God is glorified not by our fame or rank, but by our fruitfulness. To bear good fruit, we must be rooted like the tree. Be content. Patient, willing, willing to fill a small sphere if God be glorified. There is nothing so fatal to the Christian's fruitfulness as ambition. The lowest nature, the lowest natures are often the most ambitious. The bramble alone covets the crown. The ambition aims at greatness, but it arises out of littleness. The ambition of great men is their weakness. The smallest, meanest thing in them is their ambition. True greatness will perceive the hollowness of the rewards of ambition and the true glory of honest, faithful work in whatever sphere it is done. We must not, therefore, be deceived into judging of the fitness of a man for any post by the eagerness with which he seeks it. Hey, did you hear what he said? I would that I could preach to all seminary students and college students across this country, and make, if nothing else, this one declaration that our brother says, that in judging, oh, we must not, we must not be deceived in the judging of the fitness of a man for any post by the eagerness with which he seeks it. Fitness is one thing, eagerness is another. Oh, the glory of contentment, being content where we are. Blessed old Rogers, (laughs) blessed old Rogers had this to say, Whereas if the foot be unfit to do its own office, much less is it able to be the head of the body. And indeed, such as these are ever censoring others in their places and callings, as insufficient, not looking to do their own duties. Let us leave this course and have ever in mind this answer of the vine to the other trees. Shall I leave my sweetness? Lest we be as ridiculous as he, who bearing his head aloft in viewing the stars, fell into a ditch for a want of looking where he was standing. Rather let us be content, though we have not as we would, and rush we not in haste and without consideration to places and changes of dealings for advantage. But let us be sure that we have the Lord always going before us. And let us look for it that he will most certainly bless us. Yea, let us count it our chief praise to be faithful in our own condition. And in our own calling. And no discredit to be ignorant or unfit. For another's position. Seeing the Lord requires. No more of any of us. Than according. To what he hath given us. Hmm. Such wisdom. Again, in another place Roger said. All of us are taught by this. Able to keep compass, to frame ourselves willing to abide in the estate wherein God hath set us, and not to break out of our range and compass to affect that which is not for us. And as gifts are required thereto and calling, so we should attend thereupon and employ our time on that for which we are fitted. Yea, and look to find most sweetness therein. For as we are taught to pray for our daily bread, even that success and measure of blessing that God seeth best, so that He sendeth, we should hold to be best for us. But the most of us reach at things beyond our compass, or by our wit, policy, and skill, think to get all into our net, and meddle with those which things for which we are not trained unto, and so we suffer our gifts to lie resting. Yea, surely this is the case of most. Either they will have all or nothing, though they beg for their life. This is not the whole teaching. Is is this not the whole teaching of that chapter in 1 Corinthians and chapter 12? You remember it well. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Is this not the whole teaching of that chapter? Verse 14. The body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not in the body, is it therefore not of the body? The whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleaseth him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? Now are they all many members, yet, but one body I cannot say to the hand, "I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of thee, nay, much more of those those members of the body which seem to be more feeble or necessary, those members of the body which we think to be less honourable upon these we bestow more abundant honour and our comely parts have more abundant comeliness for our comely parts have no need but God hath tempered the body together having given more abundant honor to that which lacketh that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another oh there's a great lesson here There's a great lesson to be learned here from the response of these trees. Why should I leave my post? Why should I leave to seek exaltation from others? Fourthly, notice with me in this text. The crime of one Abimelech, the crime of one, namely Abimelech, is ascribed by this prince turned prophet. The crime of one is ascribed to all due to their guilty participation Albeit by passiveness. Look at verse 18 to see what I'm saying. Remember that Jotham is standing on this ledge. Standing out on this ledge of this mountain. And he's speaking to this crowd. He says to them in verse 8, 7. Listen to me. Ye men of Shechem. He's addressing them all. When we get down to verse 18, he says, Ye. Ye have risen up against my father's house. Now we know that actually that was done by Abimelech. And the vain and light men he hired. But you see in this text in verse 18 that under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit Jotham ascribes the crime to that entire valley as he addresses them. Ye ye are risen up against my father's house this day and have slain his sons. The crime of one is ascribed to all due to their guilty participation, albeit more passively. That is ye. That is all the men of Shukum. Jotham says, all of you kill Gideon's son. All of you anointed this bastard pagan as king. All of you are guilty. All. Sin of one is ascribed to all because of their passive, their passive participation. It was years ago, I don't remember when, so long ago, that I heard that old platitude when truth is fallen in the streets and you fail to pick it up. You're as guilty as the man that put it there because you failed to pick it up. They were all, in the eyes of God's Spirit through the voice of His prophet, they were all guilty. Can I just say to you this morning that when truth, when truth is in the balances, silence is just a quiet form of cowardice. When truth is in the balances, silence is just a quiet form of cowardice. Cowardice Oh I sometimes wonder who will stand in these evil days and who will remain silently, quietly in the corners. Oh said Moses to that crowd of compromisers in his day in Exodus chapter thirty two said Moses is on the Lord's side and then just a few verses later in verse 27 he said then let every man put his sword in his hand put his sword in his hand it will not do just to approve and nod your head and agree silently somewhere no he said who is on the Lord's side then put your sword in your hand and get busy And i say to you this morning. When truth is arraigned in the court. Silence is not golden. It's just yellow. When truth is arraigned in the courts of the place. Tolerance is not humility. It's false humility. When truth is arraigned in the courtroom. Patience is not a virtue, but a vice. When truth is arraigned in the courtroom, compromise is not liberty of conscience, it's a violation of conscience. When truth is arraigned in the courtrooms of the land, stubbornness is a virtue. Truth. Ye, he said in verse 18, 18 ye have risen up, slain Gideon's sons. Every one of them. But wait. What does our text teach us about those who are faithful? Those who are virtuous? Those who are steadfast, as Jotham was here. Oh, now let us see some lessons from this divine parenthetical taken up in verse 16 through 18. I give you number five lesson from this section. Great marriage, or if you prefer the word faithfulness, great faithfulness is often crowned with ill returns from their posterity. Great faithfulness, great marriage are often crowned with ill returns by their posterity. Brother Gorman shared with my wife and I, Mr. and Mrs. Gorman shared with us a book about some of the history of Tennessee Temple College where we all went. It's all boarded up now, if not burned down. Great merits. Are often crowned with ill returns by posterity. Look at verse 17. My father fought for you and adventured his life, threw it down, cast down his life, we saw in the lecture, in the lesson. My father adventured his life far and delivered you out of the hand of the many, and you're risen up against my father's house this day, and slain his son. not only that you've made the son of a handmade king over you oh you better learn from this fable great merits great faithfulness is often crowned with ill returns by posterity Matthew Henry said great merits often meet with ill returns when the benefactor is forgotten as Joseph was among the Egyptians Gideon had left many sons that were an honor to his name and family and these they had barbarously murdered one son he had left that was the blemish of his family name and family for he was the son of the his maid servant whom all that had any respect to Gideon's honor would endeavor to conceal. Yet him they made their king, in both they put the utmost contempt imaginable upon Gideon. Oh, the hideous depths of this sin in our day. This sin. Has so reigned among us and sunk to such hideous depths that we have even coined a name for it. We call it cancel culture. By the way, that's an oxymoron. Cancel has absolutely no culture at all. Seldom in history has this old earth groaned so deeply under the weight of this hideous evil. The high and holy endowments received by our fathers now gone down have been cast down like leprous rags and despised by men not one-tenth their worth. Seldom, I said in history, has this whole earth grown so deeply under the weight of this hideous sin. Men of high and holy endowments, passed down to us, are gone now and with them, this generation has cast it all down like a leprous rag and despised us and their accomplishments. That is by men. Not one-tenth their worth. Oh. Psalm 12 and verse 1. I told you many, many years ago. I have the tapes at home. They're still in form of a tape. The old days tapes. Bob McCurry preached a message from Psalm 12 and verse 1. When the godly cease and the faithful. That's what's happened in our day. Oh, look to this text. Look to this text. Look to this text and learn. It may often be so that posterity bring the greatest shame on the great accomplishments of great men. But now I must hasten. Look here in this text again indeed. Look in this fable again and see this lesson number six or seven, I've I've lost track of the number. Learn this lesson. To what desperate straits and deep trials these may fall who have been even from noble extraction. Look at what terrible, desperate, torments and trials men may fall even men who have been from noble extraction verse 18 and you are risen up this day risen up against my father's house this day and have slain his sons Hmm. oh how could these noble sons have ever anticipated this horror Oh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, you're very familiar with it. Hebrews chapter 12 describes just such souls as these young men like this when it tells us in God's inspired word of their sufferings. The sufferings of the saints of God. Throughout the ages. Oh. Go here to Judges chapter 9. And learn this lesson. What desperate straits. What deep trials. Men may fall. Who have even been from noble extraction. We're not immune. We're not immune to such suffering. As I said. How could these. How could these sons of Gideon ever anticipate this? But now I must hasten to an end in one more lesson from verse 21. Verse 21, And Jotham ran away and fled, and went to Beersheba and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech. Brother, I give you this lesson. Such is the darkness of men's fallen hearts that rather than receive a rebuke with thanksgiving, they would rather destroy the messenger. Such is the darkness of the fallen hearts Of depraved men. Rather than receive. A good and righteous rebuke. With thanksgiving. They would rather destroy. The messenger. Jotham. Must die. As far as they are concerned. Jotham must die. If they are ever to live in peace. This is the constant teaching of the Scripture in every place. Just look, for example, at Israel's implacable obstinance seen in the mouth of that prophet Hosea in chapter 4 when he said, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land Because there's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land, by swearing, and lying, and killing, and stealing, and committing adultery, they break out, and blood touches blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field, and with the fowls of heaven, yea, with the fishes of the sea also shall shall be taken away. Yet let no man strive to reprove another for thy people, Or as they that strive with the priests. And therefore shalt thou fall in the day. And the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night. And I'll destroy thy mother. My people. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because they reject knowledge. Oh listen. And he goes on and he goes on and he goes on. Condemning them. They will not hear. They will not hear. They will not hear. They will not hear the prophet. But look again. Look at 2nd Chron- Chronicles. 2nd Chronicles chapter 16. 2nd Chronicles 16 verse 7. That time Haman the seer came to Asa, the king of Judah, and said, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria, escaped out of thine hand. For not the Ethiopians and the Lubans, a huge host, with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show their Show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. And herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. And what happened? Verse 10. Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house. I said to you, this is the constant Teaching of the word of God in every place. Such as the depravity of men's hearts. They will not receive an admonition from the Lord with thanksgiving. But rather they want to kill the messenger. I'll not take the time. I'm already over my time. I'll not take the time this morning. But you can look at the teaching of our own blessed Lord. Matthew chapter 10 verse 18 through 23. Our own blessed Lord set forth this truth and this principle. These are like those. This reveals men's hearts to be like those that are spoken of in Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 30, verse 9 through 13. He said that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, say to the seers, see not, and they say to the prophets, prophesy not unto us, right things speak unto us, smooth things, prophesy deceit, get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Shut up. Get out. If I could just condense it. Shut up and get out. That's what men will have to say. They've never learned the wisdom. Oh, the blessed wisdom. That dear old David set forth in Psalm 141, verse 4 and 5. Incline not thy heart to any evil thing. The practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. Let me not eat of their dainties. Oh, let the righteous smite me. Let the righteous smite me. And it shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil. Which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be their calamities. Oh, David said, let the righteous man smite me. Let him rebuke me. It'll be a blessing to me. How it as sweet oil poured on my head? I wonder how many of us have that attitude. Why do men act in such folly? Why do men act in such folly as to chase off this blessed prophet who spoke the truth? Well, Rogers has the answer. I'll close with it. He said the reason why reproof is so unwelcome is because the worse that men are, the more dainty they be to be handled roughly. And to be told plainly their faults to be drawn out of them. As we see the tenderest faces. Can least endure the nipping weather. And the galled flesh cannot abide rubbing. For the truth is tart and bitter to them. Few can admit it except it be tempered with some sweetness of flattery. Which though a man know it to be dangerous, and as the vipers sting, killing by tickling, yet men had rather be tickled to death than healed by coarseness. Men would rather be tickled to death than healed by coarseness. We read of one in history who was cured by imposture by the sword of his enemy when he opened the issue of his flesh and let out the corruption until the Lord give wisdom to such to suffer their minister to wound them. Their own self love will nourish such sickening matter within them as will break inwardly and destroy them. This is an evil spirit in men that neither they will be innocent nor yet abide to be questioned and afflicted. They will both deserve blame with the foremost and yet be revenged upon him that would control them though it be by God's commandment. So that neither Scripture, minister, no, nor God Himself may stand up against them. They are lawless and exempted persons. But why does such hinder the course of their ministry? Verily, because they themselves may be so that they themselves may sleep secure in their sins, as Herod thought to do when John's mouth was stopped. Evil hearts must silence the voice of God, even if it be to your help. That's the hard side of ministry, isn't it? The hard side of ministry. Tell people the truth. To try to help them. But far too often. They'd rather kill the messenger Than receive the message. Oh many. Many. Many more of the lessons. From this republic. Of trees. But then what remains of this chapter. We shall see this prophetic utterance fulfilled in the days ahead, God willing. Stand with me, please, again. Sing with me again, number 445. Swift declining day, how fast its moments fly, while evening's broad and gloomy shade gains on the western sky. Stand with me and sing four forty five. A swift declining day its moments fly, while evening's broad and gloomy shade On the western sky, immortals mark its pace and use the hours of life. For no its maker can command an instant endless night give glory to the Lord who rules the Holy spirit. Submissive at his footstool bow and seek salvation there. Then shall you lustre break through all the heavy gloom and lead you to unchanging life in your i you